So let's pray. Let's turn our attention to the Lord as we uh, ask the Lord to be faithful, which he has been, and, and then we'll shift gears to the sermon. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to just speak on what you have done. Ultimately, it is your work. Ultimately, you get the glory. Ultimately, it is your generosity that we look to. We do not look to a giving campaign to take care of these things. We don't look to our own wisdom, our own uh, acumen, how to handle these things. We look to you, Jesus. So, Father, I thank you for how gracious you've been. We thank you for you how far you brought us. And, God, we continue to look to you, to trust you, to provide the needs of our church family so that we could be strong in operating and sending out missionaries to foreign lands, Lord. This is what we want to do. Ultimately, we look to you. This is your church, Jesus. You say you will build your church. And the building is not the church. However, you allow us to operate on this, in this property. Thank you for graciously giving these things to us, Lord to steward. This is ultimately your things. So Lord Jesus, I pray for this uh, sermon series called Treasuring Christ. Ultimately, I pray for every single man, woman, and child here at Evergreen SUV to treasure you, Lord Jesus, to love you, Lord Jesus, with all of our hearts. So Father, I thank you for these things, Lord. Father, I I turn our attention to the sermon today. Treasuring Christ motivates generosity, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we will treasure you so much that we will be a generous people and we will grow in the areas that where we need to grow. So, Father God, I pray you allow your word to be preached faithfully. I pray, Lord, that your spirit will fall on our hearts so that we will have a clear picture of you, Lord Jesus, so that we will treasure you more. We will love you more. So thank you, Father. You are good. You are gracious. We, as always, we look to you, Lord. So thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, um, just a little bit of uh, just planning ahead so you can think ahead. Next week, we're going to be, um, next Lord's Day, we're going to talk about more of the pattern of giving, or the pattern of new covenant giving. What does this look like? All right, we talked about tithing last week. What does new covenant giving look like? And we're going to be at a 2 Corinthians 8, 9 for the next couple weeks. So if you want to study ahead, dig into 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And you have, a, you have a good preview on what we're going to talk about. So, But today, this Lord's Day, we're talking about the motivation of generosity. And this is what we all need. We need motivation as Christians to do whatever. So today we're talking about the, generation, uh, the motivation of generosity. And we'll be out of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, 1 through 11. As you're turning there, Paul the Apostle, Paul the Super Pastor, start, started up a collection throughout the churches because the Jerusalem church... Was, uh, some people were poverty-stricken, and so he started a collection in different parts of the places that he was ministering to. And, and the Corinthians, they started giving to a collection a year ago, and now Paul is motivating the Corinthians to finish. That's the theme. If Sabrina wants to finish well. Uh, Paul's exhorting the Corinthians to finish. In a sense, uh, you know, the Lord has brought us from whatever, 23 million down, now we're at 7.4. We need, we're called to finish as well. Okay, so the Corinthian church, they were rather wealthy in relation to other churches. And like, like Paul is trying to do, Paul's trying to motivate them. Some things have kind of slowed down in their giving. And, and Paul's motivating them to give. And he uses the Macedonian church, a group of churches in northern Greece, 
to encourage them, okay, the, the Macedonian church. So 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 11. So let's read and, and let's rise as we read God's word here. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 11. It's a powerful section of scripture here. Paul writes God's word. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great deal, great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were generous. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us with much urging, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not, and this not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Verse 6, so we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. He sends Titus over. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all eagerness, earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this, in this gracious work also. I'm not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Verse 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Why? So that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage. Who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. Verse 11, finishing up. But now finish, Paul writes, but now finish doing it also. So that just as there was the readiness to, de to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, help us to be faithful to you, Lord, and be generous because you are generous. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. The theme is to finish. Verse 11 says finish. In coaching, we say it's not how you start, it's how you finish. Finish is the issue here. You could, you could start games well, but you got to finish well. You could start students. You could start your semester well. But the finish is what matters. Your finals is what matters, right? Finishing. You could start ministry well. Sister Sabrina wants to finish her, her first uh, four years well in Japan. You want to finish your career well if we're in that stage. You want to finish your life well. Eventually, all of us will be in that stage. Finishing is what Paul is talking about. And Paul's exhorting the Corinthians to finish what they committed to a year ago. Because you done this, you committed to this. Let's finish now. Let's show you love. Let's finish. And it's always harder to finish and to start. He sends Titus, to, uh, verse 6, he sends Titus, one of his understudies. He had two main understudies, and he wrote letters to them. In, 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 they're in the Bible, Timothy and Titus. He sends one of them to Corinth to say, hey, guys, let's finish. This is a big deal to, uh, to Paul. Complete what you committed to doing. Because Paul understood one thing, being generous particularly with our finances, is very unnatural. 
right? In the flesh, what does it make sense to give? Isn't it, isn't it better if I have more? Isn't that what the world teaches us? And the Corinthians had a lot. They had a lot. But they needed encouragement. They needed motivation. Paul would have been a super coach. He, would, he knows how to motivate his people. And you'll see how Christian motivation works here. And perhaps some of us may struggle in the area of being generous with our finances. I get it. Maybe some of our upbringings, we grew up in a tough situation. Maybe a certain emphasis in our life. I know the JAs, the Japanese Americans coming out of the World War II experience, it was tough. Had to fight and save for every penny. It was tough. Perhaps we're not in that stage anymore, but perhaps we may carry some of those principles into our life of abundance now. Okay, so this is a word of encouragement. Hopefully this is encouraging. This is, a, this is very much cutting my soul as I was studying 2 Corinthians 8. And so motivation is, is a key here. And what is motivation? I think I could describe motivation more in these pictures besides giving you some definition. Motivation is when you're on the boat and you're going upstream and it's what causes you to keep rowing when your arms are burning. All right? Motivation is a steam that powers a locomotive that's carrying tonnage behind it. Motivation is the voice that screams in your mind when you get knocked down and you got to get back up. But your body doesn't want to get up. Motivation is what gets you out of bed when work is tough, when you don't enjoy work, when the people that you work with are backstabbing you, but you know you got to support your family. That's what gets you out of bed. I'm going to do this. I don't want to do this. I don't like this, but I'm going to get out of bed and do this. Motivation for some is believing that you could do it when everyone else thinks you're crazy. You're alone. But something is like, this is, this is good and this is a worthy thing. It's going to work out somehow. That's motivation. And in my own life, I've always I've been a motivation junkie. I mean, I look for people that motivate me either by how they act or how they live their lives or what they've done. I look for books that, as even a youngster reading about people that I want to learn about because I want to think how they thought. I want to get motivation. I, 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 look, I watch movies to look for motivation. If, if a movie is like, it doesn't have any appeal to me in terms of motivation, I, I generally don't want to watch that. i got other things to do. Right? But that's, that's just how I am. And as Christians, we need to constantly be looking for motivation. This is a long thing that you signed up for if you live long. And this is a hard thing that you signed up for. Life is not going to get easier because you're a Christian. It really isn't. It gets harder, actually. Like I said, it's going up, uphill. It's going against the stream. It's like everything's beating you up. All right? That's how the world, world is designed. Everything is against you, so you need to get some motivation. So as we look to the scriptures, I hope that Paul will have some motivating points for us. Just three points today. Just three points of motivation today that I want to share with you. So first point, motivation. Count our spiritual blessings. Out of verse 7, let me read this for us. But as you abound... In everything, as you abound, as you, as you overflow, as you excel, as you're supremely gifted in everything. Not talking about physical things, talking about spiritual blessings. As Paul goes off and rattles off five spiritual blessings that the Corinthians were blessed with. In faith. What's faith? Faith is believing in Christ, saving faith, trusting and relying on the Lord. Next thing he comes off with is with utterance. 
That's speech. You're able to speak about Christ. You're about to speak. The, you're able to speak the gospel. The Bible says in Acts one eight that we will receive power to be witnesses for Him. If you're a Christian, you have the ability to speak from now. I get it. Not everyone's called to preach. Not everyone's called to teach. But we are able to speak on the Lord's behalf. Third thing that, that, uh, that Corinthians were blessed was with, with knowledge. You have, you have understanding of doctrine and truth. The Spirit of God has enlightened your mind and heart to understand truth. This is no longer a bunch of facts. This is truth about Christ. This is eternal things that you own. Knowledge. You have knowledge. In all, and then it goes on to fourth thing, in all earnestness. This is, this is talking about excitement. This is talking about zeal, enthusiasm, passion for Christ. He says, Corinthians, you're passionate for Christ, aren't you? And then it says, you have love. And all these things are connected. The reasons why the, the Corinthians had faith is because that they believed. And since they believed in Christ, they could speak or have utterance about Christ. They had the ability to do that. And the reason why they could speak and have utterance for Christ is because they had knowledge of the truth. You have knowledge of the truth. And since they had knowledge of the truth, they were able to have passion for Christ. You're not, you're not following a God that you don't have an idea about. You have passion for Christ because you know about him. You have knowledge. Passion. But all these four blessings, spiritual blessings, are grounded in the final and fifth blessing that Paul talks about. And this is where you're going to see motivation here. Yes, I talked about these spiritual blessings, but let's zero in here on the second part of verse 7. It says, and in the love we inspired in you. My NASB, New American Standard Bible says, in the love we inspired, sparked in you. Your ESV says, if you have an ESV, it says, our love for you. Other translations would say the love that is in you, implanted by us. Or in the love you learn from us. The Corinthians did not gain all these spiritual blessings just waking up out of their, out of their slumber one day. Somebody had to invest into them. Do you hear what I'm saying? Today, brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ and you share these spiritual blessings, you just didn't wake up one day and just say, I'm a Christian. Somebody or a group of people invested in you. And let me show you how Paul invested in, invested in the Corinthian church. He personally discipled them. And I pray that our church will grow in the culture of discipleship. Our staff is going to grow and, and seek out what this means. What did Paul do? He, he, went, he spent three trips to Corinth. Three trips. Before even airplanes and all that. This is tough getting there. Three times you visited them. In Acts 18, in his first visit, he stayed there for 18 months. A year and a half he spent with the Corinthians. There's some investment there. He wrote four letters to the Corinthian church. Only two of them are in the Bible. There's two other the scholars say. Four letters. He sent his teammates, his understudies, Timothy and Titus, on different occasions to check up on the Corinthians. Do you think he cared about the Corinthians? Paul invested in the Corinthians through his example, 
the life that he lived, his teaching, his preaching, his praying life over them, the love that he shared for them. Second Corinthians, if you read it, is a very personal letter. Paul is just opening up the vault of his heart of how he feels. This is very personal. He gave himself completely to the Corinthians. So when Paul writes, in the love we inspired in you, he knows exactly what he's talking about, and the Corinthians know exactly what he's talking about. Motivation. God uses one another to grow spiritual blessings. And I want, I'll give you a little bit of my own testimony. I mean, I'm, in, back in college when I became a believer, when I was saved, Christ got a hold of me. Before that, I had some faithful friends, Jeff Yoshitake, Tracy Yoshitake, they were praying for me. They were witnessing to me. They were trying to encourage me to come to church. I was just some kid, right, just trying to make my own mark in the world, thinking <laughs> I was kind of special in some things. And they were faithfully praying for me. And then a teammate comes along, shares, preaches Christ with me, and boom, and nothing's ever been the same. And there's Jeff and, and, and Tracy asking me to come to church with them, Pacific Heritage. That's where I met Pastor Mike Olson and Layla Olson. For a while, we're meeting in their living room, in their house. I remember Brandy Kasama playing the keyboard, leading us in worship and things like that. And this is what we did. This was church. And all I knew was Pastor Mike opened up the book and said, this is God's word, and treated, it like, treated the Bible as if it was God's word. It's a brand-new Christian now. I'm thinking, okay, this is how it is. We had meals together. We hung out together. They cared for me. They, they, we had special speakers come in once in a while and, and preach to our small little church. This is my thinking here. These are the ones that inspired this love for Christ and his church in me. They invested in me. And as I, the way I feel about it is I feel like they passed the baton on to me, and I need to be faithful Christ motivates us, and he should. But Christ also gives us extra motivation through people that have poured into our lives. Am I going to be unfaithful looking at them right now? With motivation like that, how can you be unfaithful? Think about it now for yourselves. Take a moment. Who has... Who comes to mind right now? Who has invested in you? If you're a Christian in here, who's invested in you? And if you're not a Christian, who's the one that invited you to church? Who's the one that's been talking to you about God constantly and praying for you? You know who they are. Think about who are those people? Who comes to mind? Who's made those spiritual investments in you? This is motivation, brothers and sisters. This is how it works on a team, this is how it works on a family. This is how it works in a church family. One another's. This is massive motivation. This is motivation. And Paul knows how to motivate the Corinthians here. In essence, he's saying, since you've been blessed by so much, abound with so many spiritual blessings, and you know who are the ones who invested in you, and you've been the benefit of these ministries, how can you not be generous, Corinthians? Right? It goes in concert. If, you, if, you, if you're abound in faith, 
if you abound in speech, if you abound in knowledge, if you abound in your zeal and your passion for Christ and his word, and you abound in your love for Christ and his people, how can you not be generous with your finances, Corinthians? It's, it goes right in line. It's not like, ooh, what is that? It fits. It's just perfect. It, it, it's, it fits that picture well. So Paul is just motivating the Corinthians. They remember that you have these spiritual blessings because someone invested in you. Okay? Point number two, motivation. The generosity of Christ's body. In verse 8 here, look at what Paul writes out. It says, I am not speaking this as a command. Paul probably had the authority to say, hey, this is what you need to give. Give it now. He doesn't go there. He goes, I'm not speaking this as a command. He goes, I don't want you to give under a compulsion or obligation or some commitment that you made. Like, do this because you want to. It's free will. I'm just merely trying to help you do what's right. I'm merely trying to encourage you to receive all the blessings that's entailed with being generous. It's, it's, so Paul doesn't emphasize the law. Paul doesn't emphasize the doing. He emphasizes the heart again. Can you see where these motivations are coming from people to now other uh, examples of generosity? And it's not like, I have to. If you're sitting there like, I have to do this. No, you don't have to. I get to do this. You get to be part of the body of Christ here at Evergreen SGV. This is a special thing. And right here in second half of verse 8, it says this, but as proving through this earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Who is the earnestness of others? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the Macedonian church. He's talking about this church that we started talking about in verse 1 of chapter 8, 2 Corinthians. He's talking about the Macedonians. Who are the Macedonians? The Macedonians were in northern Greece. Three churches that made up the Macedonian churches were the Philippian church, the Berean church, the Thess Thessalonian church. And what did Paul talk about, or what does the Bible, Luke talk about as the Bereans? They were called the noble Bereans. Because they study the scriptures that are saturated with God's word. The Thessalonians, when Paul writes letters, there's some admonishment generally in all the letters. <laughs> Warnings or some correction. Thessalonians, there's no admonishment. You have to think, because of their generous nature, there's some kind of spiritual maturity there. They're called the noble Bereans, and First and Second Thessalonians aren't really a letters of admonishment. And verse Verse 4 of chapter 8 says, They begged us, please, Paul, let us contribute to the Jerusalem church. We want to do this. Paul said, no, no, you guys have enough issues. No, 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 please let us be part of this. They show some earnestness there. Verse 3 says, They gave beyond their ability. They were sacrificial. Verse 2 gives us deep color on what, how expensive that was. It says they're, they're in deep poverty, but they gave extremely generously. Bible says that in verse 2 also, they're under great affliction. They're persecuted, but they had abundant joy. This is the Macedonian church. And I was talking to some of our high schoolers, and I know every year we go to Mexicali, and it's going to be exciting to send more of our students to Mexicali, but one of, our, one of my, our students was talking to me about his experience at Mexicali, and he goes, man, this church that hosted us, they were so generous. 
They took time off of their work to cook for us all day and feed us. People took time off the work to spend time with us. And what made that what made it such a powerful witness by the by this by this Bethel Church in Mexicali is that the student of, of ours said, I know they didn't have as much as we did. Right? So the, this church in Mexicali, they're so they're just giving this example and goes like, whoa. This is what Paul's doing to the Corinthians. Corinthians are pretty affluent compared to the Macedonians. There's like, look at the Macedonian church. They're being generous as a form of motivation. And, and you know, why is, why is it okay to look to others as an example? Now, obviously, we're not talking about making prideful comparisons. This is not what it is. It's not like I'm better than you, one-upsmanship. That's not that. What this is talking about, the gifts, these are gifts to the church. When whenever you have good examples, these are gifts to the church. The Macedonian church was an absolute blessing and example to the Corinthians because they set the standard. They showed the Corinthian church what was possible because they were giving so much with a lot less. And the Corinthians, look at you could do this. Look at the, the Macedonian church. The Lord is providing for their needs still. You could do this. Corinthians, you could do this. And so Paul uses the, uh, the Macedonians as an example. And uh, I think I asked um, one of our saints here to give a testimony of how, give a little bit of perspective of our church family. Many of us maybe joined Evergreen SUV since, coming, since we've been at La Puente. Some of us go further on back. I've asked Auntie Etz to share testimony. And Auntie Etz, faithful servant of the Lord, in 2020, she'll be heading into her, her seventh decade as an Evergreen family member. And she's mother to three, David, J Diane, and John. And she's going to give a testimony. So let's welcome her today. Oh, <laughs> I'm a little nervous here. Um, thank you, Pastor Aki, for uh, asking me to share it's a privilege for me to share about Evergreen's generosity because I've been a member for over 60 years, longer than some of you have lived. And I can say I was a witness and I was there, as, as were many of you. I witnessed the challenge given to the church members when we first considered moving from Second and Evergreen in East Los Angeles to San Gabriel Valley. Our first building committee uh, consisted of some business-minded people who concluded that we were too small, we didn't have the financial resources, and it couldn't be done. This committee was disbanded. And a new committee, <laughs> yeah, and a new committee called the Mustard Seed committee was formed. This committee was purposely, it purposely included people of prayer and vision. Not, not rich, but people rich in prayer and vision. Jesus told the parable of the mustard seed, which was one of, and learned in Bible study, one of the smallest seeds in Israel that would eventually grow into a very large tree. If the people had the faith of a little mustard seed, people of faith and prayer who trusted in God's sovereignty 
could do the impossible. I won't go into a history, but through the years, the constant in our building program was a generous giving of our congregation. Here is where we compare to the generous Macedonians, who themselves, and we know they lived in poverty, as Pastor Rocky said, they lived in poverty, but they saw the need of the even struggling church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church was also struggling, and they sent a generous offering through the Apostle Paul. Our evergreen members weren't people who were, quote, rich and had extra money. They were people who tithed and who gave sacrificially and gave an extra offering to the building fund. I remember the conversation I had with my husband, Don, when uh, uh, we were asked at our first campaign uh, to come up with a figure and to write it down and to submit a commitment card. And when he came up with the figure for our first three-year commitment, my response was, are you sure? Are you sure? But he said, it's, it has to be sacrificial if we believe that this site was God's chosen site, and we had to have the faith that God would provide. I can say that through the 15 years of our commitment, God did provide, and quite frankly, I'm amazed that he did. Of course, we had to drive an older car, didn't buy the large screen TV, couldn't always buy what we wanted, but my point is that God did not provide all of our wants, but he did provide all of our needs. Here's the record. For the building in Rosemead, which is now Evergreen, Los Angeles, the first mortgage was paid off in 10 years. Our record at Evergreen SGV started at, it was 23 million, I, I thought it was 22 million, big difference, and in 12 years, it's down to seven million. Many outside people looking at the church would say, that's not possible. But a people who love Jesus and are filled with grateful faith can do the impossible. God bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. Careful. <laughs> Thank you, Auntie Etz. Wow. Faithfulness. At the end of the day, that's what God calls us to do, be faithful no matter what we're doing. Whatever he gave us to steward, to be faithful in it. And Paul right here in verse 8 says that we could prove through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. This word prove means like test, show yourself. You could show yourself, you could show that your love for Christ and his people is absolutely genuine. And the Macedonian model, I say, hey, this is not to compare, but if you could give like this, this is, this is going to show your love for the, to the Jerusalem church that you do love them. And I, I have a theological question to ask all of us. God does test us from time to time. 
right? We know that story from Abraham and Isaac and throughout. God does test his people. God loves to grow his people. <laughs> he doesn't want to just leave us where we're at. He wants to grow us. Sanctification is the goal while we're on this side of eternity. We want to become more like his son. I got a question. Does our Lord, as he tests us, want to see what's in our hearts? Is he wondering, hmm, I wonder how Joey is. I wonder what's going, what he really thinks. Or rather, do you think our Lord wants to prove to us what's in our hearts? He wants to show us what we actually believe. And if you know anything about God, you know God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. God knows what's in our hearts already. There are time to time where God wants to show us what we actually do believe. Sabrina, do I believe that she has a heart for Japan? No question. How do you know? I'm sure she's talked about it a lot. I'm sure she's prayed about it a lot. But evidently, she's living in Minamata, Japan. She's shown her sincere love for Christ and for the people of Japan. I mean, I get it. That's a unique calling. In this context, Paul is talking about the sincerity of love through giving. So Evergreen Church family, has God called you to sacrifice something? He already knows what you're going to do. He already knows what you're thinking. He already knows how much or how little you love him. He knows this. But he wants to show you now, brothers and sisters, where you're at. He wants to show you where you're at. Perhaps is he calling on for you to sacrifice security and finances? Could be. We're talking about stewardship. Has he called you to sacrifice your own goals and dreams on some things for that, that achieve comfort? Has he called you to sacrifice lifestyle? As Brother Dwight's in Okinawa right now, he's sacrificed Southern California lifestyle. He's in Okinawa right now. Perhaps is he, is he calling you to sacrifice a way of thinking, a way of life? Like, wait a minute, maybe I need to reevaluate some things. The answer, of course, is that our Lord wants to prove to us what's in our hearts. He knows what's in our hearts. He wants to show it to us. This is how much he loves us. He's the shepherd. I can't do that. No elder, human elder could do that. Only God could do this for us. This, this is how you discern where you're at. If you're willing to sacrifice it, it's not an idol. Your money, relationships, comfort, your own plans your own ideals, it's not an idol. Praise God. God, Christ, and everything else underneath, praise God. You got it all in order. But right now, if you're sitting, you just, it could be about finances, it could be about something else, you're just like, nah, there's no way I'm going to give that up. No way. Then it's an idol. That's a dangerous thing that you need to deal with. God is doing heart surgery on you right now. I'm merely the instrument. I'm, I'm merely the scalpel. God is, God is the surgeon doing the work right now. We need to deal business with the Lord on, that, on those things. And God, the Lord is gracious. The Lord, thank God for MRIs, right? I mean, we know what's going on there. Thank God for spiritual MRIs, right? We know what's going on now. God is gracious. He doesn't want you to go off into eternity holding on to this thing, not even knowing. God is gracious. So right here, the Macedonians are urged or to exhort it to prove their sincerity of their love for Christ and for the Jerusalem church. We talked about two motivations right now. We're going to finish up for the third. 
counting our spiritual blessings and remembering those who invest in us. That's powerful. That in itself is pretty powerful. Second motivation, remember the example or the generosity of the body of Christ. That's pretty powerful too. There's some accountability there. I get it. Those are very compelling, but you know what? These and all other motivations stand on the shoulders of this third and final motivation we're going to talk about here out of verse 9. And and the final motivation is is this, the generosity of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus is the ultimate and the purest form of motivation. Jesus is the author of generosity. Jesus emptied the vault for all of us who are in Christ. Jesus invested more than than anybody else. Jesus proved his love more than anybody else. Right here it says, how is this? It says, for your sake, he who was rich became poor. How also he's a pastor. Give me clarity. Like, what are we talking about here? How did he become rich and to poor? Well, the Bible talks about this. Jesus is God. He was rich because he is God. He became poor by willingly taking on human flesh. Jesus was infinitely rich because he is the creator. He created everything you own. He created what you're wearing. He created your bank account. He created all that. But he willingly became poor as he lived with the created ones. Jesus was infinitely rich because he's the unlimited one, unlimited power. He became poor because he willingly limited himself while walking on the earth. Jesus was infinitely rich because he, sat, he sits on heaven's throne. But he willingly did not own a home. How many of us own homes? Jesus was infinitely rich because he is the eternal king. But he willingly took on slave status. Jesus was infinitely rich because he was the worshiped one. Angels are worshiping him right now. Someday we'll be worshiping him forever. But he willingly was mocked and betrayed. Jesus was infinitely rich in relationship as he enjoyed perfect Trinitarian fellowship. He didn't need any of us. He does not need any of us. But he willingly was betrayed by his closest friends on earth. Jesus is infinitely rich because he's the author of life but he willingly went to the cross. This is how he became poor. So that why? Why, Rocky? Why? So that we might become rich. What does that mean for us to become rich? We were citizens of hell, now we're citizens of heaven. That's rich. We were enemies of God, now we're friends of God. That's rich. We were condemned, sentenced to hell, now we're saved, promised eternal inheritance with Christ. That's rich. We were absolutely hopeless whether we knew it or not. Now we're completely hopeful. That's filthy rich. And someday now we need to keep remembers we're going to be like him. We're going to be glorified like Jesus. Not Jesus as another God, but we're going to be like him. And I'm going to ask this question. Of all that, what is the greatest blessing? And I have this story here that hopefully will uh, explain what I'm talking about a little bit. I came across this story this week. It's called A Story of a King. The story is told of a Persian monarch who reigned in opulence and splendor. That means he was really rich. Living amid the wealth and comfort of the royal palace. 
Yet his concern for the common people frequently drove him to dress as a poor man, leaving the palace and mingling with the lowliest of his subjects. One day he visited a fireman whose job was to heat the water in the bathhouse. Dressed in tattered clothes, the shah, the king, descended a long flight of steps down to the tiny cellar where the fireman sat on a pile of ashes and tending the fire. The ruler sat beside him and the two men began to talk. At lunchtime, the fireman shared his humble meal of coarse bread and water with his guests. Eventually, the shah left, but he returned again and again, his heart filled with sympathy for the lonely man. The fireman opened his heart to his kind, compassionate friend who gave him wise counsel. They became friends. Finally, the shah could not bear to keep up the pretense any longer and decided to reveal his true identity to his friend. He then asked the poor fireman to name a gift he would give him. To his surprise, the man said nothing. Mom's the word. But merely sat looking at him with love and wonder. <laughs> Thinking he had not understood him, the shah offered to make the fish fireman rich, elevate him to, to nobility, or make him ruler over a city. But the man replied, Yes, my lord. I understood you, but leaving your palace to sit here with me, partake of my humble food, and listen to the troubles of my heart, even you could give me no precious gift than that. You may have given rich gifts to others, but to me you gave me yourself. I only ask that you never withdraw your friendship from me. We get, to, we get to be with Christ someday. Does that not lift your heart? We get to be with Christ. Thessalonians will forever be with him. That's what's worth leaving California to Japan. That's what's worth giving up, sacrificing things so you could give to the work of the kingdom here at Evergreen SGV. We get to be with him, our Lord, forever. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about, do we realize the treasure that we have in Christ? Treasuring Christ is not a stewardship campaign. <laughs> it's about when we give ourselves to Christ, because he's given us more than he, we could give to him. It doesn't matter. We just want to be with him. We just want to please him. That's just what this is about. That's why we're here at Evergreen SUV. In no unclear terms. <laughs> no unclear terms. And he's all that we need. Do not add to him. Do not say you need something else to enhance it with him. He is enough. And he is offering all of himself to us. We get to be part of this Trinitarian love somehow. I don't get it. But somehow, we're even separate from the angels. We're with the Holy Trinity somehow. We're not God. We're not part of, we're not God in that, in that sense, but we have that, we're sharing in that perfect love between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Can you imagine that? So I hope this encourages us, encourages me, as I think back on my own generosity and things like that. What am I worried about? God's already proven it to us. Motivation. Brothers and sisters, we need, we're soldiers. 
We need that motivation to keep going because it's going to get hard. It's going to get hard at times, and you need this motivation to keep you going. Keep marching faithful, faithfully. Sister Sabrina, we're going to pray for you. We are behind you. Be faithful to the call that God's given you. I pray somehow this message, you know, was about kind of stewardship. will kind of light you up, kind of as you're thinking about it on the way back to, I don't know if you go to Osaka and then down to Kumamoto or Tokyo to Kumamoto. I'm not sure, but as you're out taking that long flight, I hope and pray that this lights you up. Like, I'm going to finish. I'm going to be faithful to Christ who gave up everything. What a blessing to have you here, our sister. Thank you for talking and sharing with us. Thank you for putting on the line. Thank you for going out there. Thank you for being an example to all of us. Macedonians were an example. Evergreen Givers, the Mustard Seed Group was an example. You're a modern-day example of being faithful to what we've been called to do is go out and make disciples. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. What else matters? I thank you for the spiritual motivations that you give us. Help us to count the blessings that you've given us. Help us to recall those who've been faithful to us and and, and invested their lives into us. Father, I thank you for the example of the Macedonians and other examples like Sabrina and Dwight, Ian, others. Anne came back from East Asia. Thank you for these examples, Lord. But Christ... You are the greatest motivation. Apart from you, none of these examples even matter. Because of you, these motivations have legs. These motivations stand on your shoulders. So God, I pray, Lord, that we will see your son more clearly so that we will treasure him more. We will have no disputed kings in our hearts or treasures in our hearts. And God, I thank you as you write in 1 Thessalonians, when we get called up to the air with your son, we shall always be with the Lord, you say. And so God, I pray for Evergreen Church family, every single person here. If they're not a Christian, I pray, Lord, the Spirit of God, you spark the light that said, let there be light, and they will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, your son, right now. And Father, I pray for those of us who are in Christ, who are in you, that we would treasure your son more. Move us to be generous people because Jesus, you are generous. I pray that we will know the goal of our lives is to be sanctified, to become more like your son, to live for your son more. And I pray generosity will be a mark of our people, not because of doing or compulsion or obligation, but because we love you, because we love your son, and we could forever be with him. So thank you, Father. I pray you're honored. In Jesus' name, amen.